That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Trigger warning. The following episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and adult language. Discretion is advised. I'm Danielle. I'm Max. And each Wednesday, we crack open a bottle of wine and dive into some thrills, chills, and spills. This is Innocent Till Tipsy. Welcome to Innocent Till Tipsy. My name's Danielle, and today I'm going to be telling a true crime story to my friend while we drink some wine. <laughs> so, what do we have? We have... <laughs> we haven't... No, we have had wine. It's fine. We've had the verdict this evening. I think it ties in really well to our true crime case, because um, we're going to be going over the verdict and I was reading, yeah, the back of this beforehand, and it's really cute. <laughs> cute. It says spooky um, cute. <laughs> spooky cute. Um, it says the grapes are sourced from a partner in crime. A stone's throw from the estate, minimal production from this single vineyard means that only a lucky few. You can so lucky. <laughs> we'll get to know the real verdict, and that kind of ties into the case. This oh, thing. yeah. Okay. So let's see. Okay. Neither of us are experts. We're not. Is it sommelier? Sommelier? I was like, oh, the wine words. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we should have, like, done a class beforehand. You, know, you can educate us, all yeah, followers, likers. Tell, tell us the recommendations. Tell us I mean, what we're We picked pouring. by label. It yeah. looks spooky, so. If we're pouring poorly, you know. Like, like, that's not you. how you do that. <laughs> okay. That's how we do that. Tell us how to do it, though. Yes. <laughs> Let us know. And I think this was um, roughly $20. Yes. So super. I'm like super nervous about it because it's a twist tie. <laughs> so I'm like, oh. But, you know, we'll see. Are you supposed to like smell it? Oh, Cheer. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, very, <laughs> we're very knowledgeable. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it smells like wine. That's surprisingly good. <laughs> I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah. It's not. It's um, not overpowering. Mm-hmm. Okay. A little berries, a little bit, not like very fruitful, you know, like mm-hmm. I hate, I hate sweet wines. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, it's not so, sweet, mm-hmm. but it's not like overly bold or bitter. Yeah. True. I know those are wine words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've um, got those no, it's wine like words really down. smooth. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay, cool. Okay. Good for twist top. Good for $20 and yeah. a decent wine. So, okay. And, I, and the label is cool. You know, for your Halloween parties this year, you might need a little bit of a, this is spooky. It is spooky. Yeah. It's scary. Okay. Okay, tell me a real spooky story. Well, speaking of Halloween, this happened on Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, kind of spooky. Um, So it was actually Halloween of 2001. So we're right after 9-11, like if you're thinking about that time. Okay. I always like to kind of note that just because we were all kind of sidetracked by that. Not even sidetracked. That was like our main focus, the media's Millennials, focus. it's before 9-11, yeah, it's after. Exactly. So. There's like yeah. before. Like, okay, I, can, <laughs> I know where I was. That's our BC and like eight, you know, after yep. death. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, and like, I feel like a lot of news stories were kind of railroaded over, you know, just with the focus of obviously. It was only 9-11 on TV. Yeah, which makes sense. Um, but, and like, and then the whole world, you know, super changed afterwards. So 
It was 2.08 a.m. on Halloween night. So we're kind of getting into the November 1st situation. Technically, but yeah. yeah. Halloween so, night still. Mm-hmm. And remember, like, the time. So at this time, um, this gentleman, Kent Heinholt, um, he was 48 years old, a sports editor from the Columbia Daily Tribune, which is located in Columbia, Missouri. Okay. Um, he shut off his computer at that time to pack up and go home. Super late night. Just, 208? Yeah, 208 Gosh, yeah, those reporters. Yeah. It's, well, deadlines. Got yeah, it. I suppose. And, like, back in that time, it, I feel like it wouldn't have been as instant, I guess, as it is kind of today, you know? They had email. It's 2001. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> the big, do you remember the big computers? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Kent was described as, like, this big teddy bear of a man. Like, super sweet guy. Um, he was always, like, the person to take care of, like, the stray animals. He always had, like, extra cat food and dog food in the back oh. of his... I know. Wasn't that, like, so sweet? Sweetheart. And um, just to, like, you know, give to the animals. And he just was, like, he was super big, too. He was, like, six foot five. Whoa. I know. So super big. Big man. That's yeah. And guy. he was, like, very broad as well. Like, if you see photos of him, he does look like a teddy bear. Like, you just want to yeah. like, give him a hug. Um, and he was described as, like, super sweet. Anyways, he was headed out to his vehicle. On his way to his vehicle, he spoke to one of his employees, a part-time sports writer, Mike Bold, in the parking lot of their workplace. And that was the last person that saw Kent alive that night, unfortunately. Yeah. So Kent would be found at 2.26 a.m. That's when the 911 call went out. So super. So like 20 minutes later. Not even because it was like it was 2.08. Yeah. So less than 20 minutes he would be dead. Like, can you imagine? I don't know. Like, I always think about those moments like before, you know, that happens to you. I'm like, because everything changed. Yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. So anyways, um, Mike, he ran into Mike in the parking lot. Last person to see him alive. The 911 call goes out 226. They found Kent's body. Um, he had been bludgeoned out in the head 11 times with oh a God. sharp, like an object. They don't know what it was. Um, his hands and his arms um, were just like totally mutilated. Mm, those defensive, defensive wounds. wounds. Yeah, he was trying to protect himself. Um, and he had, which says a lot cause he's so big, yeah. six, five, like, but you know, like that must've been like, it was such a, a quick attack, mm-hmm. like almost like a frenzy. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause just looking at the time frame, um, and his car had been rummaged through. So it looked like it had been robbed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure on the items that were stolen, but there were things stolen from the car. Um, newspaper, like, um, little columns were like all over, like littered the floor, like around his like car yeah so it's like a frenzy Mm because that's really quick again it's like such a short short time window yeah and um his cause of death was strangulation he had been strangled with his own belt um and they only ever found the buckle so So that's really brutal that's super brutal yeah um so there were no witnesses to the murder um two janitors would later say that they had seen two individuals near heinholt's body like when they they made the call um, one of the individual, indiv- <laughs> one of the individuals had screamed for help, um, like to get help for him. So oh. I often wonder if like those individuals were like good Samaritans. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because like, like I mean, uh, you don't really commit a huge, uh, brutal crime and then mm-hmm. call for help. Yeah, like so. Hey, it's me. Call for help. It I mean, makes me wonder if like like, and then also were they drunk? Because it was Halloween night. So did they like run off? Do you know what I mean? Or or were they the yeah. perpetrators? But I, I still like the other calling options. for help. Yeah, so they were from a distance. The two janitors, Shauna Orant and Jerry Trump, they will come up later, but they both called 911 that night. So it was just Shauna that had called them initially, but Jerry did get on the phone as well. Police and investigators would say that Jerry didn't have any useful information for them, though. Okay. Yeah. So he was, like, just reporting because... Yeah, Shauna, on the other hand, she was able to give them, like, one of those composite sketch, you know, of, like, oh, who yeah. she might have seen, right? Yeah. Um, but, I um, mean, it was, like, a, they described it as, like, a six-foot-tall blonde man that was, like, 200 pounds, so, like, kind of, like, overweight a little bit. Like, it, um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, so that's kind of what she described. Um, but they didn't, and even though they had, like, they had so much forensic evidence, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. They had so much. They had hair. They had finger, um, you know, prints. They had stuff all over, like, where Ken Heinold's car was and where his body had been found because he was found right by his car in the parking right. lot, so, right? like, this is the scene of the yeah. crime. <laughs> they have so much stuff that going on there. But, unfortunately, this case kind of was put on the back burner. Um, totally. Post 9-11, I guess. Maybe we're still in a fog. I guess. But, like, it just, like, sucks that, like, it was kind of unsolved for so long because it's, like, surely with all the physical evidence and everything, you could have, like up with that but come up with something yeah yeah, yeah. a suspect of, of any kind but anyways that same night that halloween night of course people are out partying you know mm-hmm. having a good time just a couple blocks away there were two young men named ryan ferguson and chuck erickson or charles chuck erickson he was that was his nickname was okay. chuck yeah all right um, chuck yeah <laughs> we'll <seven>. be casual <laughs> yeah well yeah he'll be chuck to us um 17 year old boys so both of them they were high schoolers right out partying living the life 17 i know like On halloween what the heck yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting into drugs they were into like i think it was like cocaine and like ecstasy so like you know party drugs. Okay, not, not shrooms like, or yeah something, like. <laughs> not like meth <laughs> um but yeah they're um getting into you know some trouble as you do when you're young they were able to sneak into some bars because ryan's i think it was a sister that worked at one of the bars so she was able to like sneak him mm, in okay. get him some drinks under the table you know a cool sister um, and then Ryan did drive home that night. I'm not sure if he was drunk or not, but he drove himself and Chuck home that evening. Um, so he was aware enough to make it home because yes. they, they live. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had been imbibing and partying. Yes. And, and Chuck um, was totally blacked out. So Ryan okay. still had the wherewithal. I don't know. And maybe he hadn't like imbibed that much. I don't know. I mean, you're He's 17. 17. Making bad choices, you know. Halloween. So. Exactly. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And to fess up, yeah. I know bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But, yeah. yeah. I'm no, filling the, the blanks. Okay, yes. cool, cool. Um, there's going to be, like, a there's lot. lots of them. <laughs> yeah, and there's, like, a lot to, like, cover in this case that I didn't even know because I knew about it, obviously, because of Ryan, um, which I'm sure, like, a lot of people watching probably are like, oh, Ryan Ferguson, that name. And it's such yeah, that it that's the name bell. that rings the bell, you know, because right. it's, like, Kent Heitholt should be what rings your bell, you know, but yeah. that's, like, oh, it's, you know what what came of it right so fast forward a few years later it's the spring of 2004 right okay. chuck erickson is like still i guess upset by that night and i mean you kind of you would be you know it's very effective that like you're out partying having fun and just a couple blocks away from you someone's been brutally murdered mm-hmm. and during that time that chuck was like having this like feeling these feelings of like guilt and weirdness, um, the Columbia Daily Tribune released this article concerning Kent's murder and how it was still unsolved to this day. So yeah. trying to release some details. Shine some light on it. Yeah, get him back in the spotlight. Maybe we can get this thing solved, right? And he was a member of their own. Like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Chuck is, like, looking at this, and he's feeling like he doesn't remember what happened that night. He was totally blackout drunk. For some reason, he starts having dreams, and he thinks that maybe he was involved in this. I don't know how you get there. Uh, yeah, that's a leap. It's a big um, leap. Yeah, so I don't know where scary. that. Scary. Like, it's a, yeah, because I, I I think we've all been blackout drunk when we're young. And so, I, yeah, I was gonna say like maybe dance on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how did I? Yeah, how did I get home? But yeah. like, yeah, I. Not, you definitely know you did or did not murder someone. Yeah, did or did not commit murder. Yeah, so he starts asking his friends and his family. And he's like, "What all happened that night?" He even asked Ryan. He's like, "Hey, what happened Halloween night?" And Ryan was like, dude, I drove you home. Like, and he's like, we didn't have anything to do with that guy's murder. Absolutely not. Like, what the f- 
Like, why would you and think that? And it's Halloween. So, I mean, it's not just like some drunken night. You're like, what did we do on Halloween of 2001? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a holiday, you know, holiday right. night. So, like, obviously you have, you know, memories from that. It wasn't just like a weekend. Yeah. So, Ryan's like, no way. Um, and Erickson, I guess, I don't know why, but he felt led to call 911. So, he calls 911 and he tells the lady, you know that guy in the Tribune? I, I know who murdered him. Like, I killed him. And so, he gets brought in for questioning, Right. He can't tell investigators anything other than, like, what was in that article. And even that, he's getting wrong. Yeah. So it was, like, imprinted subliminally or something, and he's, like, dreaming about it and, like, filling in his own blanks. But Yeah, he just, like, I don't know why he felt this, like, guilt for it. And so he he keeps saying he doesn't remember most of what happened. And so investigators kind of played into that. They're like, oh, okay, so you don't, you don't remember what happened. So that, yeah, you probably were there. So they start to hone in on Chuck Erickson. Cause they had no one else. Like mm-hmm. four years, four years later for yeah, yeah. Like almost four years. It was three years, I guess like okay. 2004, yeah. 2001. Yeah. yeah. So then, um, they, you know, of course have to bring Ryan in because he's, he's brought Ryan into this and Ryan's just driving home. I literally couldn't imagine. He is just driving home. Police pull him over. Of course he like pulls and he's pulling into, I'm pretty sure it was like his own apartment. Like, could you imagine you're like never you're never gonna go back into the apartment again like I just couldn't I'd be like he doesn't know that yet yeah he doesn't know that but like I'm just like oh just thinking back to it you'd be like god damn it (laughs) so they police pull him over they pull him into the car they bring him in for questioning um and Ryan is maintaining I had nothing to do with this and you I would feel almost he remembers he had nothing to do with it he's like I did not kill this man and I just and and the crazy thing is as Chuck is saying like they must have killed him for drink money and he's like saying must have because he's like I'm not sure why we did it he was getting free drinks from his sister he doesn't need drink money I'm like you didn't need the drink money (laughs) and why would you kill someone for drink money like I don't I don't get it but like, and brutally, because this is a mm-hmm. six foot five guy that you're going to take on for drink money. I don't. Yeah. It and you're 17. Yeah. And like you violently attack. It almost looked like a rage killing. So it's like, why the hell would you two have like done this? Well, right. It's not like mm-hmm. a gun or something. It's not like they like robbed him at gunpoint. Yeah. And you can see even like. Very hands on. Yes, exactly. And you can see even in interviews between um, Chuck and, well, and Ryan, when you see Ryan, like, in the interviews, he just looks totally, like, shell-shocked. Like, he can't believe he's, like, my dudes. And, like, the investigator tries to be like, I, you know, I have a son, too. I'm your friend. And I'm like, mm, don't. Like, just no. lawyer, <laughs> lawyer, lawyer. Just, like, zip it. <laughs> yeah. And um, at, during that time, too, Bill Ferguson, who's going to come up off a lot, Ryan's dad, um, someone called them, and they're like, did you know that Ryan got, like, taken in for questioning to the police station? And he was like, it's got to be, like, a different Ryan Ferguson. You know, it's, like, a very generic name. Yeah. So it's, like, and you would think, like, it's, like, it's got to be someone else. But no. And that day. I mean, because they don't have priors. No. And they haven't done anything in the last three years. So exactly. Like, who? Exactly. And that very day that they were taken in for questioning, police arrested them and charged them with the murder of Ken Heidold. Which is, like, wicked fast. So fast. Why, Why would they do that? It's so crazy. I mean, so, like, test some DNA or something, but mm-hmm. to bring charges that quick is unheard of. Yeah, it's really wild. And, like, this whole thing, to me, seems unheard of. It's like they were, like, they were just dead set on getting these boys. Um, and it's really, like, it's, it's honestly, like, pretty fucked up. Um, so well, Erickson, they had no one else. Yeah, exactly. And this is drug on, and, like, again, like, mm-hmm. it's a nice, quiet... It's a quiet town. <laughs> in Missouri. Um, so they're looking to, like, pin it on somebody. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you fessed up. Okay. Well, like, you know, like, everything is about statistics, right? You want to keep your town, like, the, you know, the quietest, the nicest little neighborhood, you know. So the more cases you can close, the better. It kind of sucks that it's all about numbers. But it truly is when you think about the, you know, everything in this You want to live in, a, like, a safe neighborhood. You don't want, like, a yeah. murderer running around. Yeah. So. Well, even when I, like, I moved recently and I even, like, looked up. I was like, what is the crime rate here? <laughs> um, but anyways. 
So the whole, um, it seemed like they just like narrowed in. Chuck Erickson took a plea deal first and foremost. So he like, well, he was the one that gave the confession. So he's like, it was me. Hey, cut me a deal. So he's, he's serving a 25 year prison sentence just off the bat, like immediately. Um, And his plea deal was, he got this like exchange for basically getting Ryan screwed. So he was to testify against Ryan and, you know, he would have this only 25 year sentence. So they go to court. Ryan's lawyer, of course, asks the normal question of what's bail going to be set at because he has no priors. He's not going to flee, you know, what have you. And the judge is like, Oh yeah, let me, let me think about that. $20 million. You just draw it out of a hat or what? (laughs) $20 million. Like it's crazy. So that was actually the highest bail ever set for first degree murder charge in the United States. Yeah, I was going to say, like, OJ didn't have that. Yeah. I mean, like, and he's, like, driving around a Bronco. I mean, come on. Like, these guys are kids. So yeah. they're 20, 20, 21? Yeah, they were about, I think they were 21 at the time. They were 17, and then it's, like, three years later. Again, no yeah. priors, no nothing mm. since then. And they're like, yeah, it's you. We don't want you to leave. Yeah, so crazy. And so when the court trial started for Ryan, the prosecutor, Kevin Crane, remember that name? <laughs> Kevin Crane. Noted. He was, like, um, you're not going to see, he told the jury straight up, you're not going to see any physical witness or any physical evidence for this case at all. As a juror, you'd be like, so what why it, are we here? Yeah. <laughs> so it was all circumstantial and based on a dream. This literally meant that if Ryan got convicted of murder, he was being convicted on a dream. Right. Cause it's like not even circumstantial, like, uh, you can't say like physical circumstantial, but yeah. it's, it's a dream. It's a dream. There's nothing yeah. tangible. So it's so crazy. And it's like almost like laughable because the whole place was littered with physical evidence and none of it matched Erickson or Ferguson. Like none of it matched those boys. This is a hands-on crime yeah. and you're not putting forth any physical evidence. It's crazy. Okay. Seven unidentified fingerprints and not linked to either of them. Like it's crazy. So Eric went from knowing nothing during the interrogation. Remember, he didn't know anything. Suddenly, he was a star witness. He knew everything him and Ryan had done that night, even demonstrating in front of the court how they had strangled. And he's like blackout drunk. He doesn't even remember what happened that night, but he's like, he's oh, this suddenly, is how we did it. Yeah, suddenly he recalls all. So he's just been fed. Like, it's just obvious he has right. been fed by, um, you know, the prosecution. And he handed the prosecution every graphic detail, everything that they could have wanted. Um, and it was wild too because during the interrogation chuck had been like um he said he they'd strangled him initially with a shirt and they were like no it wasn't a shirt like can you think of something else and they're like well what if what if we told you it was a belt and he was like oh shit like was it like it's on so he didn't know any of this and suddenly he knows everything and what sucked even more was even though ryan's family was able to get an attorney from an amazing law firm the attorney was crap so he would do things like promise, um, like the world, you know, and then show up in court and not Supposed deliver to be anything. on your team. Yeah. He even fell asleep during what? the court. <laughs> I'd be like, help, help. <laughs> I'd be like, I need to like change attorneys here. Like what the fuck? Like he was, and he would get mixed oh. up about things. Like there's even like a clip during, um, you know, dream killer is the documentary on Netflix. And okay, that's why it rings sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, they, um, he even says during that, that like, um, he, he starts to, like, name a street off, and then the prosecution gets up, and he's like, that's not the street. Like, I think you're thinking of this street. Like, he couldn't even get, like, simple facts. They're, like, not there. Yeah. Well, and then, so it's just, like, it's so sad. And then he allowed Ryan to take the stand. 
You should never do that in a murder uh, trial. Right, yeah, like you're supposed to, this is your client? Yeah, oh. so he, and he had no preparation. His lawyer didn't sit him down, tell him anything about it. He threw him in the hot seat. Yeah, he literally did. So he wasn't prepped at all, and like his father said in that documentary too, he was like, I was sitting there, you know, watching my son go up and realizing that he had no, you know, training to go up and face an attorney. And the attorneys no are there to make you look horrible you know oh, like, he's gonna like, get roasted like, on cross oh yeah so he got totally roasted and you can tell his whole face you can see he's like almost given up on himself because it seems like nobody believes him and i would just like you know like what more can you say exactly. than like I, it wasn't me i wasn't there exactly like, so he just looked he looked terrible to the jury then a janitor one of the janitors jerry trump he got up even though the the investigators at the time had said he knew nothing right Suddenly, he knew that Ryan and um, Chuck had been. Oh, at the now scene. he can identify. He can identify. He wasn't even them. the one that made the yeah. sketch. No, so he literally pointed at Ryan in court, which was just like it's like a done nail in the coffin, and that's yeah, what the jury said. It. They were like, "That was the nail in the coffin." He had this story. So basically, what. Jerry had said happened was his wife had sent him a newspaper when Ryan and Chuck were, um, you know, arrested, not with the intention of sending because Ryan and Chuck were arrested for this at all. He was, she was just sending him the newspaper because he was in prison as a sex offender, Jerry Trump. Yeah. So this, they're like, since you don't get the paper here. Yeah. So she (sighs) sent him the paper, you know, he's in prison and he said he opened it up and he didn't even read the like headline, but he saw the two boys photos and he knew immediately that that was, those were the two boys he'd seen that night. That's what he said. From inside the building, right? Like from across the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, they right. Were, but yeah. he couldn't make a sketch the next day. No, but and he's he like, knew oh, nothing. I, I, but years you. later, he's like, okay, yeah, it was definitely these two boys. So crazy, right? And that identification just like nailed the coffin, done. Um, and that wasn't the only eyewitness that said they had seen the two boys, right? We come back to Shauna Orrant. Now, Shauna Orrant was called up on stage just to talk about the composite sketch that she drew, right? Mm-hmm. So, but Prosecutor Crane, he was so, so careful in not asking her directly if it was Ryan or Chuck she'd seen that night, and he, like, skirted around everything. Well, he's, like, trying to spin his web. He's like, yeah, how can we? Yes. Of course. So, um, and she, that, that will come up later, so just note that. So those two, basically those two witnesses just, like, Nailed him in. He was convicted of first-degree murder, um, of robbery, and robbery. Sentenced to 40 years in prison. 40? So, Another 40. Chuck was, like, 25. 25. 25. And he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. And, like, you could just see Ryan's face. It, he wasn't, like, shocked. Like, I think he had just, like, You would just roll over. Himself. You'd be like, yeah. there's nothing you can and say then, or do nothing to save yeah. yourself. And then his family behind him, you can see them all just, like, crumple. Like, just, like, shattered. And what really killed me was his father, Bill. Um, I didn't know this. I didn't know this until the Chris Watts. This is such a side tangent. But I didn't know this until the Chris Watts case that um, it's the victim impact statements aren't just, like, the victim's family. Okay. Also, like, you know, and I do recognize there's, like, two sets of victims, right? Sure. There's definitely, like, the murderer side of the family. Like, they didn't know they it. They didn't do it. Yeah. And then, like, how shattering is it that that person that you knew and loved is, like, a monster, right? So yeah. I, di- I didn't know they could make statements, but they can. Um, and in this case, um, you know, Bill got up and he hadn't prepared anything. He said he, he was just like kind of, but his like, you know, pulling out of his ass, but like his statement was so like powerful. Um, someone asked him if he had done his best to his ability to try to demonstrate his son's innocence. And he said, well, up until the sentencing, you know, I thought I had, he said, but apparently, obviously, since I'm an amateur at this, I'm going to learn a lot more and I'm going to prove my son's innocence. And so will my family. And it's going to be really, really difficult. 
and if he gets the jail sentence that I'm hearing he's going to get, I'll never live long enough to see him outside of prison. I was there when he was born, and I will never see my son again. Just like, oh. I know, because what can you do? Yeah. He's, like, literally slipping away. Yeah. You'll never, I don't know about, like, what the prison entails either, because, like, I know certain ones you can't give hugs and stuff like that either. Like, can you imagine? Like, that's just, like, something so simple, but it's taken from you. And that's why we know his name. I mean, Mm -hmm. because, again, it feels, it feels like a victim of of the system or, like, yeah. Yeah. So it sucks. It's like there's almost like several sets of victims in this case because, yeah, but Ryan's dad, Bill, he had, he learned everything there was to know. Like he held true to that statement that he just came up with. Like I can't, I couldn't believe how powerful it was when he didn't know, obviously, that he was going to have to get up there and like talk that day and like, huh, and what the sentence was going to be, right? And I'm sorry, maybe it's the wine, but I just want to be like, shut the fuck up, Chuck. <laughs> shut it. Stop it. Stop. <laughs> so he learned everything, and he would even take people on tours of the crime scene, like on walks at night, and he liked to do it on the nights when the moon was full, because the night that Kent Heinhold was murdered, the moon was full, to even get the lighting right. correct. Yeah, so he, and there was even like a journalist who had gotten a few the things The moon wrong. was full on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there was a murder. It's very spooky. Um, but yeah, so Kent, um, or so... so Bill um, would walk, and there was even, like, this journalist that had gotten things, like, wrong. And Bill was like, let me invite you to come sure. walk this crime scene with me. Correct so the record. So you can see, yeah, what the heck is going on. Um, well, that's what's so deceiving about court. Because, again, the the jury, I, like, I want to shame the jury for being like, how could you convict him on nothing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But they're being fed what exactly. what's allowed into court and mm-hmm. what the prosecutors, like, they putting on the scene, yeah, exactly. Of, and yeah. then, of course, mm-hmm. if the defense attorney, sorry, is not doing his job, mm-hmm. then you're only getting part of the story. And so, exactly. kudos to his dad for being like, "Hey, let me come out and see for yourself." Yeah. So he just like champion, and like to this day, Bill Ferguson is still fighting wrongful um, convictions, which amazing. It's always amazing to me to see what victims, families, or like someone like this who's a victim of the system, what they end up doing, you know, with it. Because so many times, like I feel almost like defeated in life, but it gives you like hope. You're like, no, if they can like, they like draw from this well of. Strength. Yes, I'm like, what the heck? Um, and he even had his car plastered with like free Ryan, Ryan Ferguson, his son's face, it's like driving it around. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's like a soccer mom, you know? Like, He's like, like my son's in prison. Please help. Yeah, help me out. And they would like hand out all of these flyers and everything, like amazing. So 2009, oh, yeah. we're years after Ryan has been in prison for this long, like almost. God, it's been like six years or something. Oh so, my gosh. Miss Kathleen Zellner, who is one <gasps> badass yes! attorney. <laughs> you guys may Fan know girl. <laughs> yeah. You guys may know her from making a murder documentary. She's amazing. She fights wrongful convictions of people she knows and believes are innocent. And she's a badass. She's, she's out there like shooting guns. Yeah. She's like digging in, like getting her hands dirty. Yeah, yes. she's an amazing woman. So according to her, this years prior when she was watching Ryan's sentence. She saw how mishandled it was, and she was with her husband, and she wrote down Ryan's name, and she said, if this family ever contacts me, I'm taking this case pro bono. Bono. Pro bono. (laughs) Bono. Oh, no. Pro bono. Yes. (laughs) So she did. So Ryan's dad contacted her, and she took it pro bono. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would be, like, writing to her, like, to get you out. I mean, like, if you're like, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. But for her to, like, select you. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Amazing. So she takes it, and um, Chuck writes to Ryan. So remember, Chuck, his friend, actually writes to Ryan in prison when he hears that Kathleen Zellner has his case. And he says, hey, next time your lawyer's in town... Can you send her over my way? Be like, no, shut the fuck Get up, Chuck. <laughs> Get the fuck. No. <laughs> so yeah. So um, 
Yeah, so Brian does send her his way. So, of course, we're thinking, like, he's going to recant. Right. He's going to tell the truth of, like, what the fuck happened. I don't think Chuck knows what... I mean, obviously, Chuck was blackout drunk. Chuck thinks he did it. Chuck doesn't know anything about anything. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Ryan, save yourself. Exactly. I bet Catherine's working for me. (laughs) (laughs) I would... You know, You want to be in jail. Be in jail. Fine. But don't drag me in. No. So, and that... And that's kind of Well, and also, I will say that's not fair to actually, like, to the family, um, to whatever... To, there's a murderer walking. Hold. Like, don't yeah, please exactly. don't confess wrongfully. Exactly. No, yeah, no, no please don't. No, please don't. No do that. false confessions, please. No. If you just want to be in jail, just go do something <laughs> else. <laughs> like, just do it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Okay. Don't don't commit crimes. Sorry. Yeah. Just yeah. Try to be good people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, yes. Quote Bill and Ted. Like, be excellent to each other. <laughs> yeah. No. But um. Yeah. So Kathleen goes and meets with Chuck. And he does not recant, but he says that he has been feeling extremely guilty because Ryan Ferguson is an innocent man and was not there when he murdered Ken Heinold. Um, thanks, but you're already not a credible witness. Exactly. I mean, you're just like throwing dust and you're probably making it worse for Ryan. I don't know. Exactly. That's just my... That's like, it's... Where does this go? But the good thing is, is like him saying that did give Kathleen the like stuff that she needed in order to get yeah ryan back into um court so they ended up having a hearing it was a habeas corpus hearing and that's basically show me the body (laughs) (laughs) it's a wrong but right like yeah yeah like where's the evidence exactly where's this forensic evidence and like she i love her she's like got it like listed out i was looking through the court documents and she was like nope this is wrong this is wrong like i loved it i was here for it because the guy was asleep Mm -hmm. at the table right (laughs) defense attorney come on horrible so she, the the habeas corpus, basically it's called wrongful impris- imprisonment. So that's what the hearing was for, was that Ryan was wrongfully, you know, convicted of this crime. Yeah. Um, and it would be, basically this hearing was just like an apology hearing um, because everybody just started apologizing to Ryan and his family because it's freaking crazy. It wasn't just Erickson who had lied, um, but so had one of the janitors that said they had witnessed Chuck oh. and Ryan. Yeah. So remember um, Jerry Trump, who was a convicted sex offender. I always feel like you should be really wary too when you're a juror at, on you know a case like this, and they bring up someone that's been a prisoner because I there's wish leverage it, like, there. Yeah, because like, was this let into court? Like, did he have a deal? Huh? I, I mean, like, why are you been... up here? Yeah. So I, uh, it's, we that... brought you out of jail mm-hmm. to come testify. So yeah. like, how cre- I mean, not to say he's not credible, but, but, but also like, then you wonder like what's been leveraged for him, you know, to, right. to say this because there's gotta be something he's getting out of it. He's not just coming up with the good of his heart, you know, to like, be like, uh, you know, so, um, prosecutor Kevin Crane, who well, back to the very beginning, he said he didn't see anything they, of, exactly. of like so the police said he changed. didn't have anything mm-hmm. that was worthwhile. So yeah, no, very frustrating. And I'm on the stand. He's got something now. Exactly. So the prosecutor, Kevin Crane, who is now a judge, by the way, now a judge. I'm cringing. If you can't see us, I'm like literally so, cringing. That's awful. I'm sorry. I don't, he is I don't still trust a him. judge, by the way, he is still a fucking judge. So I'm not going to call him Judge Kevin Crane. He can, <laughs> in this story, in this in story, story, it's just Mr. Crane. Sure. <laughs> um, but um, Kevin Crane had had a meeting with him and um, beforehand to talk about what would be discussed. And in the meeting, Crane says we're fairly certain we have the two individuals that murdered Ken Heidhold. 
Um, we just need you to identify them for us. And then like, we're done here. You're not even going to be called as a witness. We just need you to like double check because we are like 99.9% sure. Well, these are the, guys. the case. Yeah. Fair enough. And um, he had at the time, Jerry Trump had two years of probation holding over his head. So it's oh, very, little yeah, leverage. a little Back bit of leverage, yeah. And um, basically, he was just supposed to identify, confirm, and he said that he never had seen, like, what those people looked like. Um, and that he was very easy to coerce because of those, you know, two years of probation. holding probation over your head as yes. a sex offender. Yeah. He's and trying they, to live his life. If you didn't see anything, you didn't see anything. Yeah. And they even ask him, is there anything you want to say like to the court? And he says, I want to apologize to Ryan and to his family because it, it wasn't him. And I'm just like, oh, shit, you know. So Shauna Ort. Shauna Ort would be called to testify. Now, she had already met with Ryan Ferguson's father. And she went to, like, apologize to him before all of this started because the way that Prosecutor Crane had, like, questioned her, he never straight up asked her, like, hey, was that Ryan or Chuck? I mean, she put forth a sketch. Exactly. Like, probably right after. Exactly. And you're like, does this look like Ryan? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. And I'm sure, like, the defense attorney, right, didn't do his job. He didn't. Yeah. And he didn't, like, ask or, or anything. So she already went and she walked the crime scene with Bill Ferguson because he was doing those, like, tours, right, and everything. Um, but anyway, she went forward and she said that, you know, he'd withheld evidence and he hadn't been straightforward. So there are two people now saying that Prosecutor Crane has withhold, withheld evidence, which is actually a Brady like um, violation. OK, so a Brady violation when the prosecutors in a criminal case fail to perform their constitutional duty to turn over helpful evidence to the people that they have charged with crimes. Yeah, to the defense team. Exactly. I mean, not that he was going to do anything with it, but like still turn it over. Mm hmm. So he's basically withheld all this evidence. From my knowledge, from what I have seen, Judge Kevin Crane has not received any, like, there's been these Brady violations that have been brought up in court, and he hasn't received any, like, punishment Wait, they're for supposed to, Yeah, they're supposed to be punished for. So I don't under, but anyways, whatever. Um, so he Looking just. system, take yeah, a deep breath. It's oh. fine. So she went to the um, appeal court and said that it was not Chuck or Ryan she'd seen that night. And to and to that point, the description of the man that she had given, that was the sketch and everything, it didn't match Ryan. Right. So anyways, so with all this evidence, you would think that Ryan's going to be released or at least get a Which retrial. That is like the only evidence that they put forth in the case. Like we have a sketch and they're like, and there's a dream. look like that man? <laughs> a sketch and, and a dream. Like, it's not that guy, but I think I dreamt it one time. Like, a, a sketch, a dream, and a sex offender's witness statement. <laughs> I know like, it's like the, circumstantial is a stretch even. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It's literally like a nightmare. Like I couldn't imagine living it. I would be like, what the fuck? Like what kind of like parallel right. like, universe? No wonder he feels resigned because you're like, how do I defend against this? Like yeah. that guy like is having a dream. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. So six months after the hearing, they found out that no, they had denied it. Like Ryan was going to stay in prison. I don't know how that like on appeal. Happen. Yeah, so like it was. Um, they, they had ineffective they, counsel. Yeah, they had upheld Ryan's sentence for like whatever reason. I literally, literally, we're gonna get into why I think they like fu they fucking railroaded these kids because well, they charged him in like what twenty four hours. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you confessed. Yep, it was you. <laughs> no, the whole thing was fucking crazy. So, um, and he rendered. Oh, that was what was wild too. He rendered this decision on the anniversary of the murder. Oh, so everyone's emotions are high. Yeah. They're like, yes, we can't like let someone walk. We have one guy. Exactly. Oh, two guys, but like one guy. 
Ryan, poor Ryan. No. One guy yeah. at trial. Um, and, and Erickson had even come in and like apologized and everything and said like he, he had been one of the people that had testified as well, you know, and like recanted himself. So basically we've got too two late, people. Too little too late. But we've got two people now that have said they've committed perjury on the stand, but yet this, his sentence gets upheld. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't make sense that it's not going to an appeal. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, and um, yeah. But anyways, skipping over, and also you would think that, like, you know, maybe there's going to be some backfall for Kevin Crane on, like, his shit, you know, because he's, like, obviously fucked up. But I guess maybe because they didn't get this hearing, you know, maybe that's why he didn't. But shortly after this, you know how um, Bill Ferguson's pretty much a badass? Well, (laughs) um, Crane was um, speaking at this, like, commencement hearing for university students, you know, graduating and everything. And Bill was like, no, fuck that. And he flew up plane overhead (laughs) (laughs) the speech that said free ryan ferguson (laughs) i think that's so funny he was like no i need my son out of jail so the balls (laughs) amazing and taking it into his own hands i like it (laughs) so and also to that point he was like "Mm, no we're gonna appeal this so they they did they took it to the western district court and he said he'd even looked into like all of the appeal steps so he looked into what he would have to do next so if this court didn't work he'd have to go to the missouri He's like going up the ladder. Yeah, and he was like, we'll go to the actual Supreme Court. And then he's like, I even looked into what we do with the world court. And I'm like, there's a world court? I didn't know there's a world court. I didn't know there's a world court. So you can just keep appealing, I guess. Well, shit, if you're innocent, you're innocent. So, I mean, keep fighting. Um, But thankfully, this court, the Western District Court, was the last step for the Ferguson family. They get a little bit out. (sighs) Yeah, so they vacated Ryan's sentence entirely and promised they would not refile charges against Ryan because he had presented overwhelming evidence of his innocence. And this happened almost 10 years after he'd been convicted. He lost 10 years. He served half of, almost half of Chuck's sentence. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like... Oh. Yeah. So since Ryan, I guess that's why we remember his name. I mean, he is a victim of the system. It's crazy. And there was such a social media because Bill was like not giving up. So he turned to social media. There was free Ryan Ryan Ferguson like hashtags, everything like going but on to speak to like the privilege of his. If he had, if he didn't have his dad fighting for him, dad, if he didn't have, you'd just money, be in prison. If he didn't have the status of like honestly like race and being mm-hmm. maybe a male. You know, like you just right. kind of wonder, like you yeah. just had to serve it out. Exactly, would have been done. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Sound. So since his release, Ryan has become a host of an MTV series called Unlocking the Truth. What? I know he's got a really cute girlfriend too. I creeped Aww, him on social. I'm so happy for yeah. him. Yeah, so good for him. Live your life. Yeah, <laughs> please live your life and do it like to the utmost. He even like he has a, to make up for those ten years. Exactly. Like nothing can like yeah. Yeah, exactly. he even like posted a photo with his dad like getting a beer recently, and I was like, oh. So good. Um, and he got $11 million, or $11 million, not $11 million, $11 million, it's the wine, but it's good. Um, that's still uh, wouldn't have got him out, of, out on bail. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That still wouldn't have gotten him out of bail. That's like half of what they were asking for his bail that's money. That's why it's like so extraordinary that that amount was set. That's million. They're like, yeah. and just draw it out of a hat, $20 million. Yeah, but, but he did win $11 million um, in reparations for the state. So... It's something. That's got to be like a lot of reparations. I feel like anytime we hear of anyone actually getting out Mm -hmm. um, and getting reparations, it's not that much. Not that much, yeah. Um, So, yeah. Something. As of right now, Chuck Erickson's still in prison. I have mixed feelings because he's the one that kind of like put this wheel into motion. I I Um, had feelings too about that because I was like, you know, kind of to hell with him. Like, he's the one. 
But this case Heinhold. is still closed then, right? Exactly. I mean, if he confessed, no one's, no one's, they're not looking for the real murderer. Exactly. So that's like, so that's why we should care about this case. Like, I just think it's like so important to still care about all of this just because no one, I knew so much like before researching this case about Ryan Ferguson, I knew jack shit about Kent Heinhold. I, I was going to say, that's why Kent Heinhold's name doesn't ring a bell, but Ryan Ferguson's does. Exactly. Unfortunately, I mean, he had to fight really hard to get out. But tell me about Kent. Um, yeah. Kent. Yeah, so there, you couldn't even, like, find simple things um, on it. Like, who initially found his body? Maybe those two guys, but, like, you couldn't, you know, um, who was he? You know, I can see yeah. sports editor. There are some nice, like, um, articles that his friends have written, which is, is kind of nice to see. Um, there's also a Facebook group um, that's called Justice for Ken Heinhold, which I would highly suggest you follow just because um, it does have a lot of information on who he was, um, what he was all about. Uh, but it hasn't been updated since 2018, which is really sad. Yeah, because it seemed like it was run by friends and family. So I kind of wonder, I'm like, what happened? I heard, I saw like a rumor in one of the threads that maybe that person had passed. But I'm like, God, it just fucking sucks because he just seems to be totally railroaded. I don't know if he was married. Like, I don't know if he had kids. It's just really well, he sad. He sounds like a marvelous person. He did so, sound like I a mean, mother. What yeah. we know is like... Yeah, and like the kitty thing, like like being you know, yeah, I'm su- I'm such a cat. I, I rescued a cat from a bush in Target, <laughs> so hmm. near and dear to the heart, very dear to the heart. Yeah, so um, I yeah, so I had even like written in my notes here. I was like, you know what, like to hell with Chuck Erickson, but Ken's real killer is still out there. So you know, I was thinking about like what we could do, you know, concerning this case and like what kind of the future was looking at. And I was actually looking at some interviews that Ryan had done shortly after he was released. And one of the interviews, he had said that if you look at the case, if you even glance at it, you know who killed Ken Heinhold. I was going to say, there's a murderer out there. Like, can someone catch him? I know. So let's try to catch <laughs> No. So this is all theories. <laughs> I know. Based on Disclaimer. evidence. Disclaimer. Yeah. We're not, we are not trying to convict anyone of murder. <laughs> However, let's look. Take a second glance. <laughs> right? Yeah, let's just, I mean, let's just take a, another look at the night of November 1st, 2001. Well, the morning of November 1st, 2001. Um, I feel like we need like a montage, like a rewind. Yeah. Okay, Catherine Zellner. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> November 1st. <laughs> Kathleen Zellner's face pop up. Yeah, no, rewind it all. <laughs> okay, um, so, um, and he had said, like, okay, doesn't matter. Okay, so deep dive. And I went back into, like, the case. I was looking at the court documents and all of that fun stuff. And let's all go back to what the police should have initially fucking done and look at the last person to see Kent Heinhold alive that let's night. Let's start there. Yeah. The last person work- to see him. <laughs> so that was Michael Boyd. Michael Boyd was only initially interviewed twice after the murder. Now, remember, he was the one that I had said that Kent had seen leave that night. Like, they like, kind yeah. of almost left together, you know? Right. Um, so Michael Boyd, <laughs> Michael Boyd was only initially interviewed twice after the murder. Remember that the 911 call of yeah. finding Kent's body? That went out at 2.26 a.m. So less than 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. keep 2.26 in your, like, head. Um, the first time that, Kent, that um, Mike was interviewed um, was the night that Kent was murdered. He was interviewed at 3.30 a.m., so literally, like, an hour after the murder. Okay. And he, in this Freshest. Account, Yes, very fresh. In this account, he said he left promptly at 2 a.m. as he exited the Columbia Daily Tribune's doors and into the parking lot. And he okay. ran into janitorial staff Mike Henry, and they talked for two or 10 to 12 minutes. So he's outside the doors chatting. Okay. Um, Kent walked past them out of the building to his vehicle. So he's kind of like walking by them, right? Like casual conversation. Kent leaves. Yeah. 
Boyd then says he talked to Kent by his car, talking about the cat that had been scratching his tires, which is, that's a weird... Cat scratching your tires? I know. It kind of makes sense because Kent was, like, such an animal lover, but I'm like, does a cat do any damage to tires? I don't really think so. I've never heard of a cat scratching tires, um, and you're, like, literally standing there with him while he's about to get murdered. Like, yeah, I mean, they didn't know that, but... <laughs> but, I mean, but, like, just challenging this a little bit, so, okay, mm-hmm. just... Okay, you're, like, standing with him at his car. Yeah. Okay. So, um... But yeah, so they said they he said that the convo ended at two twenty and he went to his car and drove off. Two that that's like minutes yeah. before this this happened. Yeah. And and this was like I imagine like eleven blows. That's gonna and then he had the killer had to take Heinholt's belt off of him, you know, strangle him. So that's 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 a literally like while he'd be driving off. Exactly. He also robbed his car. So it's almost like putting himself at the scene of the fucking crime. But anyways, so that was the first time he was interviewed. We're going to the second time he was interviewed, and it was around midnight on November the 1st. So literally, like, the day of the murder, but, like, kind of the day after. Yeah. Um, he, he, this time, he said that he had left and talked to Mike Henry again and then went to his car and was playing with his radio when he saw Kent walk out the door. So now we've changed the story totally. We are in our car now watching Kent Should leave. be, like, red flag. Like, you were the last person that was with him, and mm-hmm. you're changing your story. Yeah. Like, less than 24 hours later. It's not like you all forgot what happened that day. Exactly. It's literally, like, day of. You're like, no, never mind. I wasn't talking to him. I was in my car. <laughs> I, was, I was in my car. I wasn't anywhere near him. I was playing him. with my radio. Well, well then he says, then he, says um, he pulled his car up behind Kent's and had a three- to five-minute conversation with him. Says he noticed nothing suspicious and leaves between 2.20 to 2.25. So keep in mind, 911 called at 2.26. So he's yeah, like one minute himself, before the murder? He's put himself at the scene. Yeah. This murder, this brutal, brutal murder took place in one minute. He was like, I was with him at 225. Yeah. So story number three, he wasn't questioned again until February oh. 14th, Valentine's Day of 2005. This is his third interview. This was conducted over telephone. Boyd said he went straight to his car and sat and listened to music from a cassette tape, remember the days, until he noticed the victim walking out to his car. So we're kind of keeping the same story as story number two. He said that when he saw Kent, he started to leave, but stopped behind Kent's car to talk to him between 210 and 215. So we have moved that time way up he's like no i wasn't there during the murder no I no, like, no i was there before yeah and that lasted about two minutes so not like five to ten we we're like two no, minutes it was a now. quick conversation now. yeah yeah before he left boyd said he drove north out of the parking lot observed kent's lights turning on saying that kent left the parking lot as soon as he did and then he got emotional so he had to take a break then when he restarted or um then then he restated that he pulled out of the parking lot and assumed kent was behind him he was then asked if the police were aware that he was the last person to see Kent alive that night, right? Because that's, like, a big thing. You're the last person to see someone alive. Mm-hmm. So, duh. Um, and then they asked, and he said, yes, they, they were very much aware I was the last person, right? And then they asked um, if they checked his clothes, photographed his car, photographed the interior of his car, gone to his house, searched things, you know? Cause as, yeah, that's just you're normal. the last person. This seems like process. Yeah, definitely. And Boyd said that, no, they had not done that, and why in the world would they do it? Because you were the last person yes. seen with Kent. So the officer was like, um, yeah, you were the last person. That's normal protocol. Like, it wouldn't have been like, we're not like suspecting that's not, like, you. Weird. It's just like, yeah, that's what, I mean, what is it? Like, the husband always did it, or, right? So like, it's right. Like, like, whoever was with you last. last. Let's start there. Exactly. So um, 
he responded to, to the detect or he responded to like the um, interviewer. He was like, um, well, I know Detective Short. <gasps> no. Yeah. And he said, and he knew Kevin Crane, prosecutor oh. Kevin Crane, really well. I was made oh me so gosh. angry. I had to like walk He's away like, from He's like, call Kevin Crane. He'll vouch for me. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I like want to scream. Anyways, he said, I knew um, Detective Short and Kevin Crane very well. And he'd even contacted prosecutor Kevin Crane before this interview to make sure that it was all right for him to talk. Oh, no, 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 no. He's like, that's, that's, that's so, aw- I am my speechless. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's so awful. Yeah. And I think it should be noted here. Like after this interview, it was noted that detective short had listed Michael Boyd's race as white after conducting the first interview. Now they're friends. Yeah. And Michael Boyd is an African-American man. Um, that's like a serious um, it's weird. Yeah. Like, it's weird. And I don't know, like, I don't know why you would do that. But, like, that's, it's just, the whole thing is strange to me. Strange. So, strange is an understatement. Strange. I know, it's like, okay to be PC, but, like, strange I'm like, seems I like a really, stretch. Yeah, I really think yeah. it was to make it less suspicious. Like, do you know, and, yeah. like, that's a sad thing to say, but that's, like, kind of the world we live in. So I think he thought if he'd listed, I don't know, I just think it's like a friend, but maybe this is just my own thoughts. I'm not saying that, like, but I just. Disclaimer. Yeah. But. Yeah. So then on his fourth story, it oh changed. Oh my God. How many stories bit. are we going to let him tell? <laughs> We're going to let him tell five. He's only the last person that we've seen with him. We're like, this guy's got a dream. Like, let's charge them. But Listen, like, there's so much like there's, oh I've got God. way more. Like, it's crazy. So oh no. July 24th, 2005. So we're just like a couple months later, right? Well, a few months later. Um, he stated the exact same story, except now he remembers seeing two college-aged individuals standing by the dumpsters. And he couldn't identify either of them, but he didn't think at the time it was suspicious. But now he's stating that he knows someone around Chuck Erickson and, and Ryan Ferguson's age. This he's is like, oh, I kind of remember mm-hmm. there was, like, two guys hanging around. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry, when did Ryan's trial happen? Yeah, so he was sentenced in December of 2005. And um, I, a couple of these were done by a private investigator. So I'm assuming that okay, was for the Ferguson so, family. Right. Because they're like, wait, what was your story? Yeah. Like, yeah. tell me again what you saw. You yeah. Think, oh, yeah. Two guys. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Um, so on story number five, we're now June 5th, 2006. So like a year later, this was done by a private investigator. I have that like noted here. He now says, Boyd now says, he went to his car to listen to music on the radio. So we're no longer Not, no cassettes. <laughs> He's like, I had a radio. <laughs> and Kent departed the building at 2.20. Um, he's like, just keep this, uh, the timeline's a little fuzzy now. Yeah. yeah. So now he says he was driving a blue car. And all of these other instances, he was driving a red car. I don't know the make and model because I'm not that type of person, but they're different make and model cars. I mean, so I know a red now, car from a blue car. Now he's like, changed his, like, his name. I know what totally. car I had in 2001. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So totally different make and model from the other, the car previously stated in the other interviews. Mm-hmm. He said he listened to about three or four songs on the radio and then spoke with Kent for four to five minutes. So he's now placed himself at the scene of the crime again. Right. He was like, I was there. I mean. Yeah. So the 911 call, yeah, so it, just, it doesn't make sense with the 911 call going out at, two, at 226. Um, but he then says he departed the parking lot and saw two college-age boys, so now they're boys, but now said he had almost hit them. and had. Been, oh, he almost hit them with his car. He almost hit them with his car. He was car. like, I was just listening to my song. Yeah, like, he was vibing. I was you know? over. I, I remember them. Yeah, vibing after work and everything. He didn't remember them in story one, two, or three, but. No, no. And these, these kids I almost hit. Yeah, the college-age kids. Make sure, yeah. And they were men. And boys. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so, and he was scared they'd written down his license plate number. So I feel like he's trying to say there that he didn't report them before because he was like scared they were going to like report him for almost hitting him. I think. If you are that, that close logic, of a call with someone, I think they could be in your first story, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that was his law. Um, so then, then, then today, today, <laughs> I was like relooking over my nose for this case, you know, just like vibing. And then I saw a website, um, that was like dedicated to the court documents and I pulled up some court documents and it said that there is a crime scene photo. Oh no. And he's in the crime scene photo. Wait, who's in the crime scene photo? Boyd. So he went no. back. He went back to the fucking crime scene that night, like hours later. Hours he's in the crime later. scene. He's oh. in the crime. He's in the back. He's peering. <laughs> I'm on the line. I know. Because- I, know. <laughs> I know. So he's peering behind a door, like looking at the fucking crime scene. And, and he's in the background. So many perpetrators go back to the scene of the crime. They like want to relive it. And like it's so oh. weird. It's so weird. And you're the last person to be seen with him. Your story changes like who can count yeah. five, six, seven times. And you're in the crime scene photos? Yeah. And as I said earlier, he did like high school or college college i think it was college like um sports um articles and those articles were all found like you know how i said there were like articles yeah. under kent's car there were they, those were the articles so they weren't articles they weren't even kent, kent's articles yeah, they weren't even the stuff they're like let writing. me just drop my work bag under your car yes, at the so, crime scene yes so it's was he going well, he was probably there to like collect his articles yeah he was like hang on just a minute yeah let me just let me just get that but yeah so there's an excerpt from ryan's civil suit i want to read to you real quick and it concerns when boyd was questioned like why Watch he, those articles are like by michael boyd they're like under kent's car <laughs> <laughs> but this is like an excerpt um, from Ryan's civil suit about why the fuck he was in that photo. Like, why did he return to the crime uh, yeah, scene why like hours there? later? Because the photo was taken like around three or four o'clock in the morning. You know, it was like hours later. Yeah, right? he was supposed to be so, leaving from work. Yes, he was exactly. already done so with his why, job. I'm not going back to work, especially not after two a.m. Not I'm at like, three in the morning. No, I'm not going back to work. I probably wouldn't have stopped and talked to Mike Henry or to Kent either. I would have been like, I'm going. You wouldn't be like home. sitting in there <laughs> listening to your cassette tape. <laughs> no, I'm not going to vibe in the middle of the night. Anyways, so Boyd has admitted that when he returned home after the murder he immediately washed his clothes and put on a long sleeve sh- sweatshirt boyd has stated that he arrived back at the tribune at approximately 4 15 or 4 30 a.m and that when he arrived he saw heinholt's body face down no yes this is impossible as heinholt's body was turned face up when he was discovered by the other tribune employees at approximately 2 25 a.m gross so he, he returned knew, to the crime scene. But he yeah. knew how Kent was originally turned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. the only oh, the other killer. individual that knew Heitholt's body was originally positioned as the killer. So Boyd had also stated that he saw paramedics and a lot of emergency lights at the scene when he arrived. However, the paramedics had left the scene long before 4.15 a.m. In fact, the defendant Nichols had called to the, had been called to the scene at 2.30, and the paramedics were already gone by the time he arrived. So he's like, let me just go home, wash my clothes. Yeah. I just happened to come back and like. Yeah. No. So yeah, crazy. So nothing of Boyd's has ever been searched. Not his home, not his cars. Because he's friends. <laughs> With okay. It's good to uh, have some great so friends. nice to have these One friends. of whom is a judge. <laughs> Can we talk? Whatever. It's fine. It's not fine. It's fine. In fact, his blue car is currently missing. Remember the little blue car? So when the private investigator asked about it, he said, oh, we sold it to Enterprise Car Rental. But upon looking it up, 
uh, it's still registered registered under his name. It's no, just, Enterprise knows what cars they have. Exactly. Sorry, that's your gone. car. So like whatever. His DNA has not been tested against any of the DNA found at the crime scene, any of the fingerprints. I'm any sorry, of that. it's because Chuck is still there. Like yeah, Chuck. exactly, oh, no. exactly. This is the problem with false confession. Exactly. So it really sucks because Ken's case is essentially closed at this point in time, and Erickson is still in jail for his murder. So it really freaking blows. And who needs to be held accountable? Freaking the stupid prosecutor. Like, I'm I'm so mad. Uh, who pressured his witnesses to lie. Who, like, used his authority. And, like, basically, I think he covered up a crime, personally. That's my own, like, whatever. But we definitely need to care about these cases. Because Cal- Kathleen Zellner, Miss Badass mm. Queen herself, said in the documentary that is in Netflix, again, sponsor us, please. Um, <laughs> that at least watch the documentary. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, watch the documentary. It's very good. Um, and it's, it was done by like Bill and Ryan, so it's like it's mm-hmm. very good. Um, but there are two million people currently incarcerated in the United States, the incarceration nation. But like, Catherine can't be everywhere. Yeah, That's she can't. Sad. She can't do everything, you know. Um, and it's estimated that a minimum. So this is like a minimum number is twenty thousand of those people are innocent, and that's a minimum. So that's that's, that's so wild. That's so sad. sad. It's I know, so and again, sad. like, because Ryan had his champion dad. Exactly. Like, and I'm sorry, exactly. but, like, yes, race, privilege, like, exactly. exposure. Expo- um, yes. And good, honestly, good looks. Ryan's a very attractive man. Yes. So uh, that's, you know, there's all he these was a young, their looking free Ryan dude, Ferguson like, signs. Yes, I'm like, it looks good. Yeah, of no. course, there's a documentary. Like, For sure. there's so many other people that don't get For that. For sure. Right? So Kathleen um, said that the problem with these cases is they're so easy to convict but they're so hard to reverse. And that's... Well, yeah, stick by your story. Exactly. And it sucks because, like, aren't we the country of innocent until proven guilty? But mm-hmm. I feel like lately that has switched so much. It's switched, like, so much. And, yeah. Well, again, I, like, feel for the jurors. I'm sorry they mm-hmm. convicted him, but they convicted him on, like, what little basic, like, skewed evidence they exactly. had. Exactly. And I'm sure if they were, like, okay, let's do some forensics... Yeah. ...on the stuff that we found and, like... Let's interview um, Mike. Yes, Michael Boyd. Yeah, I'm like Mike, Michael. We're going by getting, nicknames I, here. I know. I'm like <laughs> Mr. Boydy Boy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like mm. if we had what we knew now, there's no exactly. way. Exactly. And what sucks is like like you said earlier. I'm sure the majority of these people, these victims of the system, victims of our justice system, do not have the financial means or the support system that Ryan Ferguson had at the time of all of this, right? And it took, and just to state, like, it took Ryan 10 years. And that's, that's a He lost a 10 years. Yeah, that's Fighting huge. an upstream battle. Mm-hmm. So in case anyone wants to help out with this, like, in case anyone wants to even look into what the hell we can do, you know, about our own justice system, there's going to be, like, a link in the description to the Innocence Project, and that, it just explains, there's, like, a lot of different inv- individuals on there, if anyone's heard of the case of Purvis Payne, he's on there as well, there's so many different individuals that they're trying to help, that have been wrongfully convicted, that need help getting out of jail, um, and it's really crazy, and um, I just think, like, like to kind of end things off, like, Ryan's statement from his sentencing in December of 2005, it just rings true to this day. He said, I really just want to say today, like, this is after he heard he was going to be sentenced for 40 fucking years, you know? Um, he said, I just really want to say that today is a sad day because the justice system has failed not only my family and I, but the Heitholtz and the community. And it has failed because they've sent, they're sending an innocent man to jail and because they're letting a horrible person run free without a care. They don't have a worry about the police looking for them, and I can't understand that. I can't see how Crane can live with himself 
with that. Just <laughs> calling him out. Yeah. I mean, call a spade a spade. Yeah. <laughs> but someday the truth will come out and everyone will, will see that I am innocent and I will be free. And that will be a great day because on that day the justice system will have finally done justice. I, the wheels of justice are slow. They are so slow. They are oh, so no. slow. I hope that one day, like, do your research. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and they can like actually convict Heidholt's killer. But I mean, there's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to yeah. do. It's really sad. True. So that's kind of the end of what I've got. But uh, if you liked our episode you can come follow us hopefully and like give us a yes. like and we're going to be uploading like new episodes every wednesday and do deep drives it helps i want to hear more stories and yeah. give me the verdict on this wine oh yeah that's okay right okay so, so how was it it was good i really liked it actually really okay. liked it what do you I think i actually like it too <laughs> for a screw i'm like i had enough of this <laughs> I, like, I, I do like it i'm so surprised because it's a screw it's a screw top so i might really yeah my bar was not high <laughs> yeah, it was not high. I, I was like, like 20 dollars top like this is sipping fine this wine the whole but time but i've done okay on it yeah. um so yeah that's uh but it's really good i really like i would buy it again and it was 20 dollars. did you say around that yes. yes it wasn't bad at all so it was like for like a cheaper good wine definitely and it's not um super sweet either which is nice because i don't like sweet right right it's not mm. super sweet and it's not overpowering like i mm. i feel like i can just casually i didn't yes. even realize i was drinking alcohol so mm. it's fine thoroughly tipsy <laughs> innocent until tipsy <laughs> Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.